Welcome to Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, well, just use your imagination. You know what to do. <laughs> Teron Davenport is our guest on the show this week. Really interesting journey to ESPN covering the NFL at the highest levels. Uh, fascinating backstory. If you do not know all of it, uh, he even gets emotional today on the show. So love Teron, love TD, love his coverage, love, loves ha- love how he sees the game and how he approaches people. Uh, I think there's a reason he's at ESPN and uh, he's going to explain his whole journey to you guys uh, and try to, you know, break down exactly what's going on with Mike Vrabel <laughs> as, as well. So we'll talk uh, with Teron Davenport coming up today on the show. We'll have a TV ratings discussion uh, as there have been, there's been some numbers out there that are floating around and, and we're going to try to figure out exactly what's going on with the TV ratings for the Tennessee Titans. So we'll do that today as well. Before we do any of that, however, Steve Cavendish, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. It is. It is, in fact, brought to you by Jaspers. Uh, the parking is free. And now that the Preds have started uh, and the games are back in the United States, you can watch them home and road at Jaspers at normal hockey times with $10 Smashburger, $3 beers, free parking, great specials for Preds games. So if you're a big fan of the Preds, uh, make sure you go swing by Jaspers. Huge park deal. For, park for Massive many. deal. Yeah, it's huge. Many people are talking about it, Steve. Everyone is talking about it. People that wear suits, people that don't wear suits are talking about it. It's quite a deal for folks to swing by Jaspers and eat burgers and drink beer during Preds games. You can also drink the gold standard cocktail if you want, which is named after a podcast, which is sort of my crowning achievement. You know, Tehran got emotional uh, on this episode. I also, when I found out I had a, a drink named after a podcast, that's what did it for me. That's wow. That's what it was. Wow, those are those are different things. Yeah. The birth of my two children and uh a bourbon drink <laughs> at Jasper's. So go to Jasper's, everybody, uh, and uh, check out all the, the happy hours. Check out the menu. Check out the game room. All kinds of cool stuff. All right. Teron Davenport coming up in just a second. Um, so the TV ratings issue that has been floating around. So I, I, I've been kind of been looking at the numbers for the first four weeks of the Titan season compared to last year. Now, there's some clarification. I, I, I put out some tweets last week about some of the data. Um, one of them was just bad math by me. I don't know how I came up with one of the numbers, but I corrected that. Now, here's the issue. Uh, Nielsen, and this is where Jared Stillman corrected me, and he was correct about one thing, which is that Nielsen changed the universe that is now measured in the city of Nashville. It includes streaming services. So the universe that is being measured is is larger, clearly. Now, I don't, Steve, I don't know what, what the industry numbers in, say about households now in communities that are that are pure streaming. I, I imagine it's not a, a very large number yet. I imagine that number is growing every year. Uh, so it was smart for Nielsen to adjust. Uh, that does not explain the loss to the Bengals, the games being on Fox, um, the 0-2 start, a, a cable broadcast on a Monday night, which affects ratings, especially when you're getting blown out. Um, the offense and, being an early di- an early game on a Monday night. Yeah, a double a double header that was like simulcast on like two channels, like very strange. Yeah. And then, of course, you trade your star wide receiver that is a big draw, whether we like it or not. It's a big draw, whether he helps you win Super Bowls or not. A.J. Brown was a big draw. Um, and just the offense being kind of, meh, <laughs> it's just not a fun, pretty, aesthetically pleasing offense. I think a, lo- a lot of that has led to a slight decrease in ratings. Uh, currently, we are doing some digging and research to try to figure out exactly what the numbers should be. But the ratings are down, um, and some of that is due to the structure of the measurements, but some of that is due to all the other things we just mentioned. And this is why, uh, and, and this is why you have seen networks. Uh, I think specifically NBC was one of them uh, in go after kind of Nielsen as a measuring stake. And Nielsen is trying very desperately to figure out the right metrics uh, in a, in a hybrid world of, of both over the air and streaming to, to, to give you accurate, uh, to give you accurate numbers, and the reason why the, those accurate numbers are are important is because these are ad based networks, and and they set rate. I mean, they set ad rates based off of those uh, off of those numbers, and so you know what what the networks have been saying is that uh, you know we don't that Nielsen has not been give not been an accurate kind of barometer of this, 
uh, and there's real tension between between a lot of the broadcast networks and even some of the streamers and Nielsen, and in part because you know, that the, that streaming data is, in some cases, you know, a a, clo- a closed box. I mean, like for instance, Netflix is a great example. You you, you never you only find out about Netflix's numbers when they want to tell you something good. When, when, the, when the devil out. when the devil in Ohio has had 1.3 billion streams, yeah. you find out about it. <laughs> yeah, when when Squid Game you know goes nuts <laughs> or Bird Box, you know people lose their mind over it for a weekend. I never Netflix, saw Bird Box actually. You're not missing anything. All right, good. <laughs> legitimately terrible. Uh, but but the uh, you know the, the, there's there's such a it's such a weird universe of numbers. It's not just it's not just Nielsen using uh, devices that they controlled in order to uh, in order to give you an accurate metric of of, of what a broadcast audience was. And so it, this is going to be this is going to be a real issue yep. going forward. And we still you know we still don't have kind of full understanding of of what these uh, of what these lower numbers are. Well, and. If, if you're a small digital company like like us, for example, at, at 440 Sports, like you have to aggregate your audience. And we talk about this all the time. We talked about it with with uh, the OutKick guys. We, we talk about it with the A to Z guys. Like you have to sort of and, and Emily Proud just a couple of weeks ago, like you have to find audience everywhere, aggregate all those numbers and then deliver those to your advertisers. And but you got to find them in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways with varying degrees of depth and interaction. And what Nielsen is was is running the risk of doing is being run out of the business because they cannot accurately measure where all the people are, which is why they're trying to adjust as fast as possible to to streaming. And so that is why the numbers and why their strategy and their methodology was changed in January of 2022. That does not change how big the numbers were last year and that fewer people are watching this year. We've got to figure out what the exact number is, and we're going to have a longer conversation when we do figure out what those numbers are exactly. Um, but the numbers are down. And I th- again, I think it's common sense to some degree, Steve. Like, again, you trade your star receiver. You start out slow. You don't have a great offense. The games aren't on the biggest, most populated. You're hungover from the year before. Right. Like, and, and somebody was tweeting about, you know, why would games be less watched on Fox than CBS? Well, CBS is the, is the number one rated broadcast network in the city, in Nashville. It is the most widely distributed, and that's what people are used to going to find the game. And so it's just, it's a small factor. But when you add up all these small factors, you know, it, it is 0-2 start. You get blown out on a Monday night. Like, you put all these things together, and there's going to be less people watching. Um, that's just sort of how it is. Um, and that, that, that's, that's the gist of the conversation. We'll get you as much information as possible uh, when we uh, figure it all out for you. So uh, without, without any more conversation about ratings, uh, Teron Davenport, fan- fantastic story about how he got into the business, how he got to ESPN, and how he got to Nashville. So I'll let him tell it all, and then we'll have some conversation on the back end. Here was our talk with ESPN reporter Teron Davenport. Teron, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm well, man. Woke up, so you know what that is. That's a W in itself. <laughs> I, I love that attitude, man. And and you've always sort of brought that to everything that you do. And we're going to talk a lot about all of the stuff that you do on the show today. But I want to get before we get into sort of you moving to Tennessee and covering the Titans, you and Vrabel are matched up in terms of when he got the job and when you came to town. Um, so there's lots of interesting sort of you've got an interesting perspective on the evolution of the team and the organization and the coach. But let's tell everybody sort of a little bit about your background um, how you got into journalism in the first place, why you wanted to get into this godforsaken industry and tell all these great stories. Like, just give everybody a quick sort of Cliff Notes version of Teron Davenport from like going through school, getting into college, and then deciding, you know what, I'm I'm I want to I want to be a reporter. Well, there really isn't a, a quick version, but I'll be as fast as possible. What it came down to is just finding a way to have some type of involvement with the NFL. I for all my life, loved football, always watched it, was a huge Jets fan when I was younger. Uh, Al Toon was my guy, you know, Freeman McNeil, Mark Gastineau. And I played football, you know, in high school and then and then college. 
after that had a chance to work out for some arena teams, the New York Dragons and New Jersey Gladiators, none of which are in existence anymore. And then in Canada, too, I worked out for Saskatchewan Rough Riders and uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. They were interested, but it just it didn't happen. So what, what, what were you what were you playing? A wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah, receiver. Braden can relate to that. I don't know why Kevin just not knowing that is offensive to me. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) It's all good. So, you know, I I wanted to stay involved. Uh, My degree is actually in marketing. I don't have a journalism degree. So a lot of this has been learning on the fly. Um, I remember, you know, sometimes editors, you know, texting me or or calling me and telling me, hey, you know, I need you to do a write through. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. I hang up the phone. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> so I look it up and, and figure it out. You know, uh, graph, G-R-A-F. You know, I didn't realize that that was paragraph. So it was a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, I, I did football camps for Deshaun Jackson, uh, Marion Barber, Jason Avon, a bunch of guys in Philly. Um, and, and then across the country, you know, one of the ones I wanted to do a camp for was actually Colin Kaepernick. And I connected with his agents. And at, around that time, Bleacher Report had had sold, I think it was like, 70 million or something crazy like that they had sold and i'm like man if these guys who haven't played and are just fans that could write about the sport and get paid like that i'm a fan too i could write so i taught myself how to do a website Um, i built a website on front page and you know that's an old program where you literally had to set up all the everything right it wasn't like this plug and play type of situation they have now. So it took, you know, a lot of uh, effort and patience, but I built it. It was called Press Coverage Sports and it it focused mainly on the 49ers, but I got some of my teammates to write about, you know, some other teams. But one of my articles was about Colin Kaepernick after he had the Thursday night football start against the Bears. And uh, I just broke it down. His agent saw it, loved it. She sent it to uh, Kaepernick. He put it on his Facebook and then different outlets in the Bay area, you know, started to reach out to me and I connected with uh fan sided, uh, their site at the time was called, uh, called golden, golden gate sports. And I wrote on there and then Bay area sports net, uh, reached out to me and I was able to actually be credentialed at 49ers game. So you, you had that. And I, I was flying out to San Francisco, you know, six to seven times a, a year, you know what I mean? Going to the, uh, a games credential, and then that got tired, so I reached out to every outlet in Baltimore, and one responded, the Baltimore Times, uh, which was a, a Black-owned newspaper. So I did Raven stuff for them, and then USA Today launched a, a similar model to the NFL Nation, ESPN. Um, it was called The Wire, and I, I opened up the, the Eagles Wire for them, connected with uh, you know NBC Sports Philly, which at the time was Comcast Sportsnet, and I did TV stuff did radio stuff, showed myself how to do a podcast. And uh, I put myself in a position where I was comfortable doing all three. And ESPN called, man. And, you know, that's when the, the life-changing moment happened. And it's it's awesome to be able to go to these events, you know what I mean, and not have to pay for them. Because when I was at USA Today, I was paying to go to the combine. I was paying my way to the senior bowl. I was paying my way to away game. So, you know, to not have to do that now. You I, mean, I really a, you mean a giant company like Gannett wasn't paying your way? What are you saying? <laughs> they didn't require us to go to road games. And I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for real. You know, I Absolutely. had a full time job at the time. And it's funny because I redirected my career um, to be able to, to do this. Um, I, I was managing a, a store, a men's warehouse, and I, I went from men's warehouse uh, manager to a commissioned salesperson. And I, I did that specifically to go downtown Philly. And what I would do on my lunch breaks, take the train, I would run to the to uh, City Hall, take the train to, to uh, Broad and Patterson, run up to the, to the facility, watch practice, what was allotted to do the press conferences, run back to the train, on the train, write my article. And that's, that was like a daily occurrence, man. So, you that's know, some hustle, it's, man. Yeah. Uh, but you, you know what? When you love something, you're going to hustle for it. And that's, that's why, like I said, I woke up and I want, like, there's no such, I cannot have a bad day having this job because it's something that I dreamed about and always wanted. So, so the hustle is obviously a theme through all of these different experiences, uh, the work ethic and sort of the self-taught nature of what you're doing. 
But is there anything else through all of these different things you're doing, whether it's the Niners, whether it's the Ravens, you know, the Eagles, whatever it is, different entities? Is there a thread about what made your work successful? What made your work resonate with people? Do you you have a sense of what it was that was landing on people? Yeah, well, it's it's two sided with with the fans and, and the audience. It was always being as informative as possible, but not in a way that is condescending or confusing, right? You break it down until you can watch my whiteboard videos, and that's an example. Now, I could get into the jargon. Like, I could do that. Like, when I talk to Coach Mack, you know, we talk the jargon. But when I'm talking to a broader audience, I always try to make it as digestible as possible. So that is, is with the, um, you know, the readers, et cetera, and the viewers. But with the players, you know, it's one of those things where, and the coaches, I try to cover them in a way I would want to be covered. That's why you'll never hear me say a guy sucks. You'll never hear me say, hey, (laughs) coach so-and-so should be fired. I don't do that. You you know what I mean? And I always look at just like the the cause of the issue as opposed to just like pointing a finger at at, at somebody, you know, and then also being informed, right? Being able to, you know, take the playing experience and transfer that into a conversation that you have with the players and and the coaches. And I, I think that's done a really good job of just earning their respect. Do you think that, uh, well, I guess from coming at this as a player uh, versus somebody like me who didn't play, came out of, came out of like a journalism program, kind of a more traditional path. What is it that, what is it that you're trying to transmit to fans and what do you what is it like the particular advantage you think you can that you can use in order to do your job really well? Um, I, I think it, it's I've been there and done that, albeit at a much, much lower level. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to. Like describe a scene or, or, or understand what's happening, because a lot of these situations I've been in myself, you know, and and. It's also an advantage in, in talking to the players, you know, especially when you get one-on-one, you know, you, you could really get a different perspective. Um, take Josh Gordon, for example. You know, I talked to him, what, three weeks ago, and we were talking about the receiver position and how there's more to it than just catching the football and how you earn the right to catch the football by blocking, by clearing out, by, you know, running every route with as much hustle as possible because you don't know if you're going to get the ball or not. You know what I mean? But if you get the ball, you want to make sure you're in position to make a play. So that's an example. Um, I, I, I don't want to call it an advantage. It's just a, an opportunity for a different perspective. Cause I think that there's always, <laughs> it's funny because there's a lot of analysts in particular on TV and radio, not as much in sort of like the reporting world, but in TV and radio, there's and I've worked with a lot of coaches and former players that don't put the work in. They, they don't they don't they've got the perspective. They've got the experience, but they're not putting the work in to be a professional media person or broadcaster or TV person or radio person. And it doesn't happen nearly as much in print where you you got this classically trained path. You come up through a very different path. And so you and I. this is not just me, you know trying to blow you up here and make you feel great about yourself but like it feels like if you can have the two sides of it where you can have the hustle and the media experience and the knowledge of that business and the experience of the game and then marry the two that is sort of the perfect blend because again you could be a great reporter and never have played the game you can be a great player and be terrible at reporting right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's true but I, I still, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, you look at Greg Cassell, you, you look at, uh, you know, you, you can point to a lot of guys, uh, Sal Palantonio, you know, Uncle Sal, man. I love that dude. He really uh, was really big in me getting the job. But you look at those guys, you know, they didn't play the game, but they could, in Sal's case, you know, he could relate to the players and get, dig in deep with them, you know what I mean? And get them to, to, to express different things. You look at Greg Cassell, he, he'll break that thing down, you know? So it's not always um, mandatory to have played, to be able to be really good at what you do. Um, I think for me, it's just the passion, man. Like I truly love this game, you know? So being able to be involved with it 
it's it's a pleasure to me. So it, it's never going to be too much work. So I'm always willing to put in that work that that needs to be put in. Can you explain what that that moment was for you and the family when you get the call and you're like ESPN's like, hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> you about to have me tearing up, man. Um, I was leaving. I was actually doing a show uh, with NBC Sports Philly. And I, I I still remember I was pulling out of um, the the complex there because they they play at uh, where the Sixers play. Their their studio is where the Sixers play. And I remember turning and getting to the gate and like I literally like my phone buzzed and I looked at it and it was Heather Burns emailing me saying, hey, you know, um, we're interested in you being one of our NFL Nation reporters. And I, I, like, I was like, no way. <laughs> no way this isn't possible you know what i mean and i responded like absolutely yeah i, I would definitely be interested and it, it really um i remember uh like going through the process it was it was a lot man um interviewing uh going to the what they call the car wash it, it was it was yeah it was something you know and uh when i got it man like it was it was exciting i remember um calling one of my teammates yo <laughs> It's crazy, like just looking back on that, man. Um, I remember calling one of my teammates. I was on the train, and uh, I didn't think I was going to get it. And me and him, like we prayed together. <laughs> we prayed, and 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 it happened, man. So I'm grateful for sure. Definitely grateful. So that that's the moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's in the in the gig you've got. There, there's kind of you've got two different you've got two different kind of very learned skill sets that kind of writing skill set uh but but also that uh also that on camera skill set that yeah. you're that you're doing how do you learn uh and and they're and they're completely different animals uh walk me through kind of like how you learned each part of it uh the trial and error <laughs> that's really what it is and and, and just like finding that comfort level. Um, my guy, Emery Hunt from Football Game Plan, we did a lot of stuff together and he really helped me uh, TV-wise, just be able to have that presence and just be comfortable enough to just like talk the same way you talk in a regular conversation. Um, Pat Kerwin helped me a lot, just like conceptualizing and understanding that even though you're talking to a big audience, pretend it's just you and I at a bar talking and I, I i'll never forget he told me that and um that resonated and that that was something that made me able to be like more relaxed uh talking to you know on tv or talking on the radio and things like that so um that's really how how it came about just like the, the trial and error and just finding that comfort level um Stuart scott you know rest in peace um he wasn't a mentor to me or anything like directly but watching him comfortable saying things that he said that really paved the way for a lot of us younger journalists who you know aren't afraid to speak the same way we do like we're, when we're in the street or, or wherever we may be do you think that the human interest side of players has always been a part of fandom coverage or do you think that's something that has evolved in the last 10 15 20 years like seeing seeing athletes in particular NFL players because they're gladiators mm -hmm. seeing them for more than just like the helmet and face mask and shoulder pads. Yeah, I think it has evolved and, and that's, that's critical because we have to understand. And, and this is something um, I was just talking to a media friend this morning about this, you know, with, with what's going on with Russell Wilson, just the, uh, the venom that is, is being placed on him. We get to caught up in hey like that's an, an object of entertainment and we lose track of hey, like, that's an actual person that has emotions you know what i mean and, and and you gotta see those stories and read those stories in order to understand that and that's what you you've seen it evolve you know um roy firestone if you remember him he, oh yeah he was probably in my opinion the originator of that just like being yeah. able to you know get these guys to really open up and, and, you know, share some of their stories. So I, I think it's essential, though. And that's something that I, I want to do more. And, and I 
you know, I got to get better at that. And, and I'm going to work to do that um, more often because I think there's a lot of stories that need to be told. C- certainly <laughs> helps being back in the locker room for the first time in three years. <laughs> Man, it is beautiful to be in a locker room. I love just the relationship building. And, uh, you know, just, just being in there, man, you smell the icy hot, the tiger bomb. You're like, all right, I'm back home. You know what I mean? Let <laughs> me <laughs> uh, play devil's advocate here for a little bit. Like I'm thinking about like the Russell Wilson thing, uh, at, at when you take 200 million plus dollars for a position, there's a level of accountability that comes with that that means I'm going to be mad when, when you can only, when, when you're, when you come to, if I'm a Broncos fan, you come to my team, yeah we're paying you all this money and you can only put three field goals on the, on the scoreboard. I'm going to be, I'm going to be pissed. Uh, how do you, I mean, that's a, that, that's a very real, that's a very real piece of sort of the fan experience. And I, and I get that, uh, you know, I get, I get the, like, you don't want to call somebody out and say, oh, this person sucks. You know, that that's completely legitimate, but there's, but the, that piece of it, there's more than just sort of empathy for Russell's situation. There's, there's gotta be, uh, I think there's gotta be some, some empathy for the fan who, who's, who's in this, who's in this. My team, my team just killed its salary cap position for the next for the next ten years, and and my ticket and, and my ticket prices went up because of and it. my ticket prices went up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, you have to appreciate the fan, right? Even the one that is at home watching. I mean, NFL ticket, whatever you have, like you're paying big money to you know enjoy football. So I, I think fans have every right to be upset, but. I, I think the line has to be drawn, though. It doesn't have to be. You could be mad. You, you know, like, I'll get mad at somebody, but it's not personal. And I think when you start saying, hey, you know, I hope you're whatever. You know what I mean? It's some of the things that people say and, and wish on, on other people is just it's it's ridiculous. And I think that's where the problem is. But fans have every right to be upset because, look, man, at the end of the day, you got to call a spade a spade. Right. Russell Wilson is not playing good football, but you see how much different that sounds than Russell Wilson <laughs> sucks. You know, we're saying the same thing, yeah, but yeah. It, it's, it's two different ways. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's the problem. You know, uh, you, you look at. It's called sports talk radio to run. Kyle Brandt, for example, <laughs> you know, the guy is on good morning football calling Russell Wilson a poser. Do you know that man to call him a poser? Or is it because, and, and the truth came out later in this, the 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 uh, segment, he was upset because Russell Wilson and Sierra didn't speak to him on the red carpet at um, NFL Honors. <laughs> you, you see? So it, there's, oh you have to put that into it also. Um, you don't take things personal. Like I've had guys, quick story, right? One of my favorite guys I've ever covered, and I'm still close. I can text him right now. Um, Steve Smith Sr. I remember my first time in the locker room in Baltimore, right? I was talking to Michael Campanero. Steve Smith Sr. walked by and said, shut the F up. I don't know if he was talking to me or Michael Campanero, but guess what? I said, yo, who are you talking to? And he looked at me and then he smiled. You see, I could have taken that personally, right? But I didn't. Now he's someone texting relationship. You know what I mean? In that case, apparently he was just trying. You know, and Steve Smith Sr. is just one of those guys who yeah, you, you see him like, yeah, yeah, he wants yeah. to push the buttons. He's the, he's the, the, like, he's, he's he's the, the raptor, raptor testing the fences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question. About it. So it, it always raises an interesting question, though, too, about relationships. Once you build these relationships and you cultivate these relationships as a reporter, it, it, it doesn't you have to be able to do your job on both sides of it. Like, again, when he's playing great, you got to say so. When he's playing poorly, you got to say so. He or she, whoever you're covering. Um, I, I've always gone by the kind of as you've already alluded to it. Just it's it's not personal. Like you, you, you didn't play a bad football game because I think you're a bad person. You just right. didn't execute your blocks or you didn't run your routes. Or the other guy who also gets paid millions of dollars happened to be better than you that night. Have you ever had a moment where you wrote something, you said something, and then you go into the locker room and the guy was like, hey, what what the hell, dude? Like, what what's up with this? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of times. Um, I remember in Philly, you know, calling out Nelson Aguilar a lot. You know, another close friend of mine, you know, calling him out um, for improper hand positioning, for, you know, trying to run before he caught the ball. You know, different things that would contribute to the drops. But that was the, the thing that uh, allowed it to work. Explain, okay, from my perspective, this is why he's dropping the football. Not just saying, hey, he's butterfingers. You know what I mean? Like you explain it. And I remember having conversations with him and, and him being like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You, you know, so I, I've never had a, a, a situation where a guy was like, uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or you need to stop. You're, you're dead wrong. And I've been dead wrong. A couple of weeks ago, actually, you go to the Bills game, right? Um, Kevin By I called I call Kevin Byard up. I was like, you know, Kevin Byard as a safety, there's no excuse for him not to be over top. In, in cover two, there's no way. Knowing that Stephon Diggs was going against Trey, he has to be over top. Guess what? It was inverted cover two. Trey Avery had that deep hand for the field, and Kevin Byard was required to drop down in the middle of the field. Was damn wrong. Shane Bowen, when I asked him a question, he corrected me. I went to Kevin Byard in the locker room. I said, hey, man, you know, uh, I, I, I called you out. I was dead wrong. He was like, oh, man, it's all good. You know, um, he probably didn't understand the cover. You know what I mean? So you could be wrong. And, and it's just when, when you do it the right way, you, you don't really have those issues. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. It is hosted by Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, NashvilleBanner.com. And it is brought to you by Jaspers. Almost. Almost, Almost. got it all. Almost got it all. Cut out there in the last uh, couple of seconds, but yeah. did a pretty good job. Pretty good job. I think I think your pipes are warmed up for the World Cup. I think you're... I think you're warmed up. You're ready to oh, go. They're definitely ready for the World Cup. <laughs> I hope I have something to cheer for. So if you're looking for a place to watch World Cup games, which I guess is weeks from now, I suppose we don't need to tell anybody to go watch any World Cup games right away. But how about Preds games? How about Titans? Although they're on the bye this weekend. Uh, how, how about Tennessee, Alabama this weekend? You can go watch that game at Jasper's. You're never going to pay to park your vehicle. You're going to get a great meal every time you go. They got flatbreads. They got a pretty, I mean, listen. We, we said last week on the show, they are the number one next evolution of the sports bar in the world, in the country, in the city, and in the world. They're ranked number one by this podcast. And I, it's because they're so good at so many things. Like, they got a game room. They got a grab-and-go market. They got a, a, a bar that's great. They got a library, for Christ's sake. They got a dining room that's more formal. They got a patio. But also the, for all of your reading needs. <laughs> but really, it's just for board games and shuffleboard, which is cool. Sure, sure. That, how many how many sports bars have that? It's pretty cool. Um, but the menu kind of fits that, too, right? Like you can get really nice. You can get a really nice entree and sit down and have a really nice dinner with like, you know, a really nice entree, at like some some Creole pasta or something. You could maybe, also maybe you just want to maybe you just you just want the avocado bacon toast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some, I, mean some, I do. So, <laughs> I do right now, as a matter of fact. <laughs> what, what are you on a bachelorette party? Um, no, but what do you mean? No, that's not. <laughs> Please, I love avocado toast too. It's very, it's very trendy these days. No, you could have some some healthy shareables with people. They got a great salads. They got flatbreads that are creative and delicious. Point is, Steve, they sort of have a little bit of something for everybody. No matter what vibe you're going for from an experience standpoint, or what you want from the menu, Jasper's is rated number one. In America and number one in your hearts. Yes. <laughs> what, use your words, big guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Go, yes. Go to yes, yes. 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 Go to Jasper's. Thank you. What was the transition like from Philly to, to Nashville in terms of sports market? Because they strike me as two very different personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's been great, man. Uh, you know, I, I love the passion that the Titans fans have. Um, you would say it strikes you as two different ones, but the passion is so similar, man. It, it's very similar. So it hasn't been that much of a difference. Uh, I love the fact that it, 
they'll call you out. You know, sometimes, most of the time, unnecessarily, but um, it, it's it's been cool. It, it's been cool. They're just I like they're just less likely to burn shit to the ground here. Oh, or yeah. or or what? We don't wipe fecal matter all over light posts either. Like we don't do that. You know? Oh no! You know what they put on the light post? They they put um Crisco on the light post, not fecal matter. Oh, that's but they right. Did that, they did that so the people wouldn't climb up the light post <laughs> for the Super Bowl uh, parade. Funny story about that, Lane Johnson, right? I remember he came up to me um in the locker room after the parade, and he was like, "Yo, man, you would never believe what what I did." I'm like, "What you do, big dog?" He said, "Well, I had someone ask me to sign their baby." But even crazier, somebody, this guy came up to me and he was crying and he was holding the urn and it was his dad's ashes and he asked me to sign it. Oh my God. Like, yeah, that's that's a different level of passion, man. <laughs> so, so how has, uh, you came in when Mike Vrabel came in. How I'm curious your perspective of the like the, the sports as a market like we we as a city and how much we're, we pay attention to sports we tend to be a very fair fair weather city in general when the party starts to die down we tend to move on to the next thing pretty quickly just in general as a city where a lot of transplants how yeah. how, ha, how has it evolved with Mike Vrabel and with this new this tenure in terms of interest level and interaction and passion and all that stuff from like the day you get here to now now covering him in his fifth season. Yeah, I've seen the Titans, like, it's been kind of like a peak. You know, 18, it was okay. You know, this team is interesting. Um, they're not going <laughs> to win anything. But, hey, you, you know, it's we'll, we'll go watch the games. And then 19, those first six games were tough. And then, you know, Tannehill took over, and this game, like, the team just started to uh, adopt an identity and you saw Derrick Henry take off and that two thousand that, that run to the AFC championship game, I, I think was, it reminded me of Philly in 2017. It, it reminded me of that, just the way people were catching on and, and really loving it. And then this past year, uh, you talk about just like the bubble being bursted. I, I, I mean, that game against the Bengals, you know, Ryan Tannehill, the, the interception on the first offensive play, like it's just <laughs> like the air just completely went out of yeah. it. And they were just dying for a Derrick Henry carry or something. Like if Derrick Henry would have carried the ball and gained even 15 yards, that place would have erupted. It would have probably been like earthquake level uh, eruption. But that's kind of what I've seen. And now it's like, People are, are like, man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna lead me on. Like, you're not gonna push <laughs> me to the cliff and, and not well, let me, you know. So we were talking about this last week. The the uh, the ratings are off. A matter of fact, uh, they're they're significant. They're like twenty five percent to thirty percent off of what they were last year or year before. Um, and I wondered, I wonder if if it's just that. If it's just it's that they got to a space that Bengals lost just hurt, and they're not, and then they open it up. They open it up kind of not well against the Giants. They don't mm. necessarily. They're not. They're not, even though they're now, uh, you know, they they got back to two and two. That that they were. It, it's just kind of hard to believe in. It, do you think that? <laughs> what, what like what's it gonna? What do you think it takes to get back to that peak in, in terms in terms of fan perceptions? Yeah, I think it's going to take a streak. Uh, they have to rip off a, a, a win streak, and even then, I I think fans are still going to have that. You're not going to let me down mindset, you know, because last year that that was a, a true letdown. It's like, man, you know, the Ravens don't have Lamar. The Chiefs can be beat. The Bills lost to the Chiefs. Like, everything just fell into place. So it was like, okay, the road is perfect. The table was set, and, and it didn't happen. So I think people are going to really hold on to that. And, uh, you know, with the ratings, I, I know that, like, there was some type of adjustment. I don't get into all that stuff, but apparently there was some type of adjustment yeah. uh, that was made. But regardless, there is a drop-off, and that's something that should be noted. Uh, do, you, do you think that – 
do, hang on, do you Steve. Think that he, the... he, Steve, you need to understand that as Teron and I, um, as two Mets fans, now Teron is far more optimistic than I am, but as two Mets fans, we are naturally inclined to, you're not going <laughs> to fool me this time. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to, I've been telling Teron for four months, you're not going to fool me this time. <laughs> I, I was, I bought in, man. I bought in, but you know. Do you, do you, uh, but go back to Bengals thing for a second. Bengals go to the Super Bowl and you can sort of understand it. I mean, like, like you, you catch a team on the rise like that. Does it feel, I mean, as a, as a Titans fan, to see the Bengals kind of stumble out of the gate like they did, you're like, man, that it it wasn't like like we witnessed like the birth of a super team it's just that they caught it caught it yeah they caught it and uh and 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 the and the titans were the victims of it uh the, i i wonder i wonder how much of that's just sort of kind of floating floating through there for like and that kind of takes it off of like the the ambient sort of fan, the, the the fan who's not like the hardcore fan, but who who gets interested in it as the team as the team gets better or as the team plays well. Yeah, I mean, when a team catches fire, uh, especially leading into the playoffs, the Ravens, you know, both of their Super Bowls that they won, they weren't the top team in the league that year. You know what I mean? But they got especially high. not that that Dilfer team, man. Right, right. That defense was crazy. That defense but, is awesome. Know, it really, you look at those teams, um, you could point to other teams that just, like I said, they caught fire at the yeah. right time. And, and that's why I think Titans fans should have hope because they have the remedy to, you know, kind of down the stretch. Uh, they're what I call a pack and play teams. Like back in the day when you had kids, right? You know, you had the little, the little play pen you, you pack it up and you take it somewhere you set it up so the kid could play in it i got that's one in that they, i got one in that closet right there <laughs> oh, see <laughs> that's how the the titans are because you know they play solid defense and they can run the football and when you can run the ball the way that they do um we saw it in 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 baltimore a couple of years ago right they completely deflated all of the fans at m&t bank stadium by forcing derrick henry you look at uh the patriots the game before that they forced Derrick Henry down the, down the throat. And that just has a way of not only deflating the fans, but it deflates the coaching staff, especially if you're a defensive minded head, head coach. And that's why Vrabel was so sick after that Giants loss, because they ran the ball for 238 daggone yards on. Uh, Earl Thomas agrees with everything you just said. Um, so I, I, so I, I find it. So Mike Vrabel is like this. He He's like this puzzle you got to crack and it's similar to Belichick that if you ask the right question about the right thing with the right sort of you know interest in the right thing he will he'll like bloom like a flower and start talking about like this thing otherwise you're not going to get anything out of him so explain the art of asking the right question to Mike Vrabel to get the answer that you are looking for uh (laughs) you know even it's tough, man. It, it, you have to keep. And one thing that I, I found at Erickson is when you put a statement before a question. <laughs> but a lot of times with him, you have to because he'll redirect your question. So you have to kind of like put some barriers on there. So it, it's it's a delicate process. I failed last week. You know, um, probably not the best thing to do to ask him uh, about the second half woes, you know, as the first question after a win. <laughs> and that's why he, he told me it's it's the National Football League. We're just happy as hell to get a win. I, I get it, you know. Um, yeah, but you got a great quote out of it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and a couple of uh, scowls from him too, but I don't mind that. It's all good. <laughs> I, I think really it's just it's just timing and and just you, you just got to catch him at the right time. I don't think there's really an art to it. Well, but is it is it to me like Belichick, if you ask Belichick about any normal football question a reporter would normally ask, he probably has no interest in talking about that. But if you start talking to him about like, why is it that you're running one down lineman and eight, eight shell coverage? Like he's going to go for five minutes about why that's effective against a certain front or a certain look or a certain offense. Yeah, it yeah. is. Doesn't Rabel have some of that where if you get him, I know it is definitely timing and, and how he's feeling that day. Cause sometimes he's just not in the mood, <laughs> but if you, it seems like if you ask, 
like a scheme question about why a thing works or why a player's skill set has developed in a certain way. Like there is this little tiny crack in the armor that he will. I feel like he'll he'll let you in if that makes sense. Yeah. He, he loves to talk football. That's really the bottom line. And even just like off camera, no mic, just talking shop. He loves to do that. So you're right. You can kind of strike up that type of uh, conversation in, in a press conference um, by asking about scheme. I remember I asked him about tiered pass rushes, and you know, he lit up, man, <laughs> and, and he just went into this whole. Uh, dissection of the pass rush. And he pointed out different teams that you know he's seen that that does that do it. So yeah, you're right there. If you talk scheme, he, he can he, he can light up. Good old delayed blitz. That's 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 what gets him going at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there's as he gets to this five year mark, you know that's a that's a that's a place that increasingly there's not a ton of NFL coaches. I mean the the, the Pittsburgh situations, the, you know, the Baltimore situations where you have long-term head coaches is the absolute rarity now. I mean, I mean, Belichick and Belichick with the Patriots, you're seeing you such, Super Bowl, so, you know, that's understandable, <laughs> but you, but you're seeing such high turnover kind of within, within the coaching ranks, maybe even more than, than, than we've seen previously. Um, what is it about, what is it about having, sort of the stability sort of piece of this and it, do you do you see stuff within uh within the franchise that is both good and bad from a stability point of view i mean the the good side is uh, you know the good side is is that, that there's there's not wild swings the bad side of it is maybe it gets a little you know it gets it, a little stale from time to time yeah yeah like how how do you how do you sort of evaluate like five years of of a regime here with Robinson and 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 Vrabel. Well, you said it right there, uh, Robinson and Vrabel, and just the partnership and the sharing of like-minded ap- approaches between John Robinson and Mike Vrabel. I think that's really what it's about. Whereas it seems like they're very much on the same page, where they know the type of guy that they want, and they go out to get him. Do they miss Isaiah Wilson? Absolutely. You know, um, that happens. But uh, Dylan Radins is another example. But I, I think really it, it comes down to there being a united message. And last week, and Paul Kaharski has done an excellent job this week of kind of pointing that that out. Um, after the game, what did I say uh, Coach told me, right? You know, I'm happy as hell to get a win. And I, I think, you know, that was his message to the guys to understand that, you know, Winning is tough to do in the league, and, and, and they have to, when they win, they have to, like, you know, be cherish it, be pleased with it. And that was the message coming from Ryan Tannehill, coming from Kevin Byard, coming from Jeffrey Simmons uh, in the locker room, and most of the guys that, that we spoke to, right? But you notice Derrick Henry, and later he had the message, but the halftime or the, the post-game interview with Christina Pick, he said he was pissed off. Like he was mad about the second half, not getting any scoring. But then in the locker room, the post-game speech, Mike Rabel delivered that message and, and embedded it into everybody's mind. And when he spoke at the press conference, it was different. So I think that's an example of just being able to have a message, deliver it, and it be completely received. And I, I think there's total buy-in from the guys there. Um, but you're right. It can lead to there being some staleness and you look at AJ Brown's comments, right. You know, about not having fun in practice and, and stuff like that. And uh, Robert Woods echoed it, but just in a different way, you know, like you have to be dialed in here. You have to, you know, uh, be really focused on winning, but Sunday is the day where we're able to have our fun. And I, I think that's really the the mindset, the, the approach. So it has, you know, it's ebbs and flows, but, it worked for AJ when he was here, so you know, right. and it's worked for this team for the most part. So, what do you, what do you think AJ right got? Why do you think AJ got killed for that, but Woods didn't? Because because hey, I, think, I think I, I think I you're wonder, right. I, I wonder what it, I wonder what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Outside of that part, I think it goes back to the two people saying the same thing, but saying it in different ways. You know what I mean? You look at the way Robert Woods framed it. 
And it, it's much more palatable than the way AJ Brown's like, man, it was no fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? The way that he framed it. So uh, that, and then obviously, you know, AJ Brown is the, uh, the girlfriend that you let get away that you yeah. just want to, to, you know, have, uh, bad things happen to them. Uh, that's, and, that's and she and, to their and, and she loves posting her vacation photos on the IG. Man, I tell you what, yeah, like she her, loves her vacation it. photos with her new dude. With her new man. dude. <laughs> and look, that that's that, that's for everybody to decide on their own what they like and don't like and what they want to do. Um, so we'll, we, you've been very gracious with your time, man. We really appreciate it. I want to, I, I, again, this is a statement before a question. So I know we just talked about that, but. It, it took Andy Reid like 20 years to win a Super Bowl and he had to change teams to do it. Like it, it, it is hard to win championships in the NFL. Um, Mike Vrabel could be a Hall of Famer at the end of coach at the end of his career and never have won a, a Super Bowl. So I'm I'm couching all of this by saying I think Mike Vrabel's a really damn good football coach. Yeah. I think John Robinson's a really damn good GM. But let's say this season plays out as let's let's call it. The, the most statistically probable outcome, which is they're a decent team. They win the division. They go into the playoffs. They either win one game or they don't win any games, but they're a playoff team. And they're sort of right where they they are every year, the last few years, let's say. What is the story you are writing at that time? Are you writing perspective about the big picture that they're in the playoffs every year? Just give them time. They need to find this guy and that guy to make it work. They're missing this piece. Is it, this fan base deserves better. What What is it that you think you're writing if they go, you know, 10 and seven, win the division and lose in the first round of the playoffs? Probably it would be something in regards to why did it keep hitting the ceiling and trying to find a way. Like last year, it, <laughs> I, I focused on Tannehill and I'm like, you know, I don't think this, I think this team has you know hit their peak with Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback. That was my focus last year. Who, who knows, you know, how they may, however they may lose. That'll probably lead to, you know, what is, why are they keep hitting the ceiling? That, that would be my focus. All right. Short and sweet. I appreciate it. Uh, Teron, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate your time. You've been excellent on the beat and uh, didn't mean to make you cry, dude. That was not my, my fault on that. <laughs> it happens, man. No, good. but it, 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 re it really does speak to why you are where you are and the passion that you have for the game and the people around it. And uh, uh, I think people appreciate that in your work. And so keep it up. We appreciate it. And thanks. Uh, thanks so much for your time, dude. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Go Mets, man. That was Teron Davenport and Steve. I don't know about you because I know your your path and your history and your your career has taken you all across the fruited plains, uh, in a lot of different cities and roles. Uh, but Teron's got a pretty unique path to to the mothership and um, to just the hustle. And you know, clearly the the suits and the attire comes from his history of selling suits and attire. Uh, he's very you look you know, always looking very dapper at the games. Um, I, I meant to ask him. For a guy who was working in Baltimore and he went to went to work for a publication called The Wire, uh, if uh, <laughs> if he if he ever if he ever told anybody that, oh yeah, I'm going on The Wire. Teron coming. <laughs> Teron coming. <laughs> Teron coming. Uh, that's that's a hell of a column. Uh, if I was working for The Wire in Baltimore, I would absolutely name the name my my column every week. Teron. Teron coming. coming. Teron coming. <laughs> That's that's pretty awesome. Now his story. I mean, again, your your story is far more traditional than mine. My story is a little bit more like Tehran's, but maybe even a little bit more traditional than his. Uh, I, you know, learn how to do as many different things as possible is a big part of of what I've done in my career. I've always had three or four different jobs and freelancing. Your career is a little bit more traditional, but his path is. I'm gonna do this because I love it, and I'm gonna figure out a way to make it happen. I'm gonna and, uh, I'm gonna make the site first and then i'm gonna figure out a way to work my way in and then once i'm in i'm gonna figure out how to do this for for progressively bigger outlets uh it, it's it, it's a, a real sort of kind of measure of stick to because at any point along the way whether it's the long pay whether it's the fact that you're <laughs> whether it's the fact that you're working in a men's warehouse uh, as a, on a commission job by day, uh, you know, the, there's all sorts of reasons to quit doing it. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. And, and, and the, the fact that he didn't, and is, has, has turned this in, has turned this into a successful career where he's now working for ESPN, um, is, is pretty damn impressive. 
And I think a lot of the principles that he that sort of guide him, I think, are 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 important to remember before you just like pop off a tweet about how the media is broken and how they're all biased and how so and so hates this person and so and so loves that person or whatever. I think it's important to remember people like Tehran who who feel like it is their obligation to sort of be in the middle and treat people, you know, equally and with respect and that is that he's objective that he can be critical of a player but also have a relationship with the player but do it for the fans. Um I, I don't know. I think Emily talked a lot about this. Uh Emily Proud when she talked a lot about how impactful the doing the news every weekend was on her life. I think we I think we we lose sight of of the good reporters, va- the vast majority of reporters are very good at their job and care deeply about getting it right and doing it accurately and treating people the right way. I think Tehran is the, the perfect embodiment of that. And oh, by the way, here's what makes Tehran special. He hasn't lost any of the joy. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's what makes him impressive is that he can do all of that in a tough environment for media reporters with people on Twitter just pounding your every opinion. And he still just loves the game so much that he can he can tell stories with pure joy, and I that I am envious of because I, I, I am dead inside as a as a as a sports fan. I was gonna say, uh, you know, it's been it's been beaten out of it, it, it. By this point, it gets it usually gets beaten out of you, and and Toronto is very much the exception there. Uh, it was funny. I was talking to somebody who uh, is a longtime beat reporter, uh, covering you know uh, uh, covering a national beat. And was talking to them about the specifics of a of a play, and and they were they were like, I mean the the they had the answer, but there wasn't the same sort of like twinkle about it. And I was like I was like, what's up, man? And he's and he's like, man, I've just sort of seen it all. I've yeah. you know you work a beat for long enough, uh, and you're good enough at it. You're operating a muscle memory, uh, so much that it is it is it is interesting to see when people still kind of are in touch with the thing that made them want to do that whether and, and in sports coverage and, and a lot of people have said that, said that on the show you know their, their connection to sports is what made them want to do it and then there's skill acquisition there you know you, you yeah. become better at, at covering it uh and, and and sometimes that's you know sometimes kind of in later career that's the only thing that is sustaining them is that is that muscle memory and that sort of day to day piece, and and they don't you know they're <laughs> I not understand <laughs> they're not flipping on a game for fun at you know at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and I think um, you know there's also like with with what Tehran specifically does he does you know the whiteboard breakdowns on social and then he does a podcast and he does radio for ESPN radio and then he does TV hits and he does and then he'll write articles and he just sort of does everything he had to he's had to learn how to do all of it and what i think is interesting again just another complimentary you know conversation here about TD and, and that is that w- we live in this world where you know listicles that are color-coded screen grabs of spreadsheets is that are the things that break through and go viral like those are the things that people end up talking about and there's no depth there's no nuance there's none of there's no insight to that and it's empty calories and Teron Davenport lives in all of those worlds and very rarely will you ever get empty calories with any of Teron Davenport's coverage is your is your best friend text group listening to this or not I sure I, sh- I sure as hell hope so <laughs> Because I know at least one of them will. Uh, <laughs> because that is, get, a very, that is a very specific criticism, my friend. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't like screen grabs of color-coded spreadsheets that are just just worthless rankings of stuff. Last week on the episode, you complained about a particular ranking. <laughs> and I was right. And I'm complaining about rankings now. I just I am depressed at what breaks through on our timelines. And I am impressed with people who break through with stuff that is full of nutritional value. And that is what Teron Davenport does. There's a lot of other great people in this market that do it too. And those are the people you should follow and interact with. And th- like, those are the people giving you really nutritional stuff. Uh, I get it. There's space for everything. If you want Mike Keith and Homer radio, you can listen to that. If you want listicles, you can read that on uh, like every website in the world. <laughs> like I, I get it. But if you want real stuff, 
you got to go find it. And Tehran's giving you real stuff. So appreciate his time today on the show. We do, especially in the middle of football season. No doubt. Um, okay. I've got a couple of things to recommend um, that are not sports related. So, all right. What you got? Uh, so one of the really interesting things uh, in uh, the coverage of uh, in the coverage of uh, Ukraine and Russia is there, there's more and more now that this thing has 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 gone on for months and months. There, there's more and more reporting kind of back here in the states about about things that affect uh, that that you see that have battlefield effects. Um, and there's and there's deeper there, there's several outlets have have developed really deep sourcing. Uh, that explain to us how the war is going on and how uh, and how it's being prosecuted on both sides. Uh, and what there was a fascinating piece about uh, about arms brokers in the New York Times, um, and it was it, you know the the deck on it was new brokers are cashing in as the Biden administration quietly encourages private weapon sales to the Ukraine. Over, uh, oversight is scant in these shadows. And one of the th- one of the things that the story talks about is is just like some of the people that are in this sort of land, uh, you know, this land rush to make money off of arms. That the headline on this and uh, the headline on this is, is one of my favorite headlines of the year. She's a doctor. He was a limo driver. They pitched a thirty million dollar arms deal. <laughs> It's just it, it's I'm a, in it's a, I'm in it, I'm in I am in and it and it's and it's a it's a really fascinating story uh, at you know some of the things that are happening on the margins of this war go read it uh, it is uh, it's a piece by Justin Schenk uh, and uh, in the, it's in the New York Times uh, let me can I piggyback off that real quickly because there was I yeah. I read I read one in the AP last week this was October fifth uh, headline experts Russia finding new ways to spread propaganda videos and they are finding all these digital workarounds for how to spread fake information, like fake videos, fake digital stuff that looks real, that is going, that's going They're They're intentionally trying to create stuff that's going viral. Uh, I recommend, I recommend reading that because it, it just, unfortunately it's, it, it's a, it's a further example of how you have to be a pretty staunch personal gatekeeper to your own content. You gotta, you gotta be diligent with how you, how you track what you're following and what you're reading and what you're seeing. And uh, again, they're, they're spreading just a bunch of, you know, random fake video disinformation and they're figuring out workarounds uh, because, you know, the internet's a big place. So Uh, the other thing I want to recommend to you is a piece from a few weeks ago um, that I stumbled across uh, in Vulture, which is a New York magazine uh, on danger mouse, the producer. uh, I'm in. uh, (laughs) It is. It, it's a Q&A with Danger Mouse uh, by by Craig Jenkins. And Jenkins knows his... I, I'm, I always love interviews like this where, I mean, there's there's sort of like two brands of really good Q&As. One is a conversation with someone in order to, uh, in order to kind of elicit information and kind of, and kind of surface things. And the other one is... Where an interviewer is so uh, knows the subject so well that they can get deep, deep, deep into a career and talk about really granular stuff that that never comes out in other interviews with the person. Yeah. Uh, and, and this this Danger Mouse interview was like that. So Danger Mouse, um, you'll remember, was was uh, you know kind of came to kind of public consciousness with the Gray album, which was which was a thing that he did. It was not meant for publication, but it was, was marrying Jay-Z songs onto Beatles samples. Uh, and this was, you know, 20 years ago. And then he becomes this producer uh, and he, he's worked with gorillas and Damien Albarn. Uh, he's worked with uh, CeeLo Green to become Gnarls Barkley. Red, uh, he, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Black Keys, Adele, Nora Jones. Just, yeah, just a bunch of small, small I mean, things. Small people. His, uh, you know, he's worked with you know he and he and um, uh, he and James Mercer, uh, who leads the Shins, are really good friends, and they're the ones who did Broken Bells. They did two Broken Bells albums, which I are did, just. I think he did a Doctor John 
record too or two yeah i mean he's done all he's done a lot of stuff huge range huge range and he's just a sort of fascinating guy but this q a goes really deep into his career uh and, and talks about you know talks about sort of his contemporaries you know uh you know the he the the jenkins asked him about you know, you see Trent Reznor kind of turning into the soundtrack guy and working in movies. And he talks very specifically about why he doesn't want to do that uh, and, and kind of like why Reznor's good at it and why he wouldn't yeah. be. Uh, it, it, it's just it is a great interview. Uh, you know, you can read it for the form or you can read it just because, you know, you're a fan of of the guy's work. It's I, it, it's just one of the best things I've read in a while. I'm in like he, you know, Beck. Portugal, the man, Michael Kiwanuka, like these are these are like his C list people. I know. I know. Uh, he's he's done a lot of stuff, man. Uh, if you see the little logo on the back of a record, you know you'll know exactly what it is. So um, that's cool. All right, cool stuff. Thank you to Teron Davenport. Good recommendations there for Steve. We'll keep digging for you guys on the TV ratings. Uh, Steve, where can people find you, and where can they sign up for good journalism? Uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at scavendish. Uh, go to the go to nashvillebanner uh, give us your email when uh, when we publish stories. They will come to your inbox. Uh, we've got um, some small announcements uh, coming up soon. Uh, that'll be that'll be fun. That uh, you'll see us in some places uh, that are going to be Ooh. really interesting. So fun, fun, and uh, like big important stories about glass. It's really cool. Sure, stuff. sure, it's really cool stuff. Uh, so no, it's very it's very good. Just sign up for it. Absolutely should. And if you want to watch a game where you're not going to pay for parking, you're going to have elevated sports bar food, you're going to have a tremendous experience, probably get a great discount on beer and burgers. At the number one bar in the world. Number one sports bar that has evolved more than any other in the history of mankind. Where should they go, Steve? Jaspers. Always go to Jaspers. You don't have to wear a suit at Jaspers either. You don't have to. You could just... You can... You could if you want, if you want they're, to make They're it. not going to shame you for it. No, there's like a formal dining area if you want to get dressed up and fancy. And you, you could absolutely do that. You can also go in there in a flip-flops and a pair of shorts and uh, play some adult Jenga and drink a beer on the patio. <laughs> so absolutely. That's, that's my speed. <laughs> Range. Range. <laughs> that is what they bring to the table, along with all of their flatbreads and delicious sweet potato fries covered in barbecue pork. So go check out Jasper's, everybody. Special thanks to Teron Davenport. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us this week. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. For Steve, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.